Welcome to the IGN UK podcast. I think we've got a we've got a sexy tone going on this week with two incredibly, I would say, furiously attractive gentlemen in Jesse Gomez. Hello there, thank you. And the just delectable Matt Persler. Oh, thank you, Simon. What people? I don't think people necessarily know what kind of like hair Jesse's got going on at the moment. He's got. The fullest beard that I've seen him ever wear. <laughs> and uh, when I saw him in person the other day, like longer, like almost like Geralt short length hair. It's very, uh, very We've luscious. got our very own Witcher in the mitt <laughs> and slaying any beasts lately, Jesse? Not quite, mate, but I've been playing a lot of Slayer. Have so, you? In, yeah. Are you in... trying to do a segue there? <laughs> I, I, wanted to... To, I wanted to throw my hat in the ring. Yeah, let's talk about Halo Infinite Money Player. <laughs> Oh, are you hosting that? Go on, then. Go on, then. Let's go for it. That's what, me what done. It's over okay, to you now. <laughs> um, yeah, Halo multiplayer dropped. What was it last? Was it last Friday? Now Tuesday. I can't I remember think. the exact day. It was oh, during was the it Xbox event. It was wasn't only it? this Tuesday. Jesus, it feels like longer than that because maybe because I have been spending half of my time since playing it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, dropped out of nowhere. No one knew that was coming, did they? It didn't leak at all. Wasn't a surprise. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of Halo multiplayer, and here's a, maybe it may shock some people. Others, they may not care. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the first time I ever played Halo multiplayer was this Tuesday, and I've been playing it, like I said, pretty much non-stop since. It is fantastic. I'll, I'm, I'll preface this, but I'm probably about to say a lot of points about why Halo multiplayer is great that people have been saying for about 19 years now. But, um, <laughs> look, I'm new to it. And I'm sure a lot of people will be new to it because, obviously, Game Pass... It's, you don't even need Game Pass, do you? I think it's just free for anyone. Free that, is, that is really, really good. Um, you don't even need Xbox Live, do you? It's just... You just play it whenever you want. Um, Matt, you are much more versed in Halo than I. Why, in particular, is Halo Infinite Multiplayer so good? Uh, so, I think the the main thing that, like, if you haven't played a, a Halo multiplayer before is that coming to this... In an era post Call of Duty, kind of redefining what kind of like multiplayer shooters are a little bit. Um, it's much more closer to the old school arena style multiplayers that kind of like were popularized by Quake and things. So there are two broad kind of um, types of multiplayer matches in this. There are the big team battles, which are twelve v twelve, right? Is yeah, that, yeah, yep. And then there are the smaller ones, which are four v four. Um, the smaller ones are generally in symmetrical, quite contained maps, very kind of corridory with lots of like sharp corners, multiple different levels, and mm-hmm. everybody on the team will always start with the same like loadout, which is the assault rifle and a pistol. Mm-hmm. And a big part of the game is whilst there will be an objective going on, so that might be capture points. Uh, it's got a classic capture the flag mode. Um, it's got a game called Oddball, which is literally pick up a ball, in this case a skull, and hold <laughs> on to it for as long as possible until your team gets 100 points. But the big kind of thing that creates the like the interesting wrinkles in this is that there will be weapons that spawn on the map, and it's about the team that can hold on to those spawn points and be the people that know, like, I know that the rocket launcher is going to spawn in, like, 15 seconds. I'm going to get there. I'm going to lock down the point. I'm going to get the please, rocket launcher. Please give it its, its full name, the Spanker. It's called the Spanker, <laughs> yes. Um, and literally, like, it's it's S-P-N-K-R or something like that. But yeah, your, no vowels in. Yeah, in your, your AI companion refers to it as the Spanker. 
um and yeah so so then you get something like that or the cinder shot or like these big kind of powerful weapons and like the team that controls them generally is the team that will have the edge um Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they'll win like tactics obviously are also a big part but that kind of like classic thing where everybody starts on even footing and then it's about who best understands how those map works and and how to lock down specific I areas of it that's where that's why i'm particularly loving the 4v i mean i'm loving all the modes but the 4v4 modes are singing to me a lot more and mm. i know it's probably going to be design wise and historically the other way around completely that they borrowed from them but like the 4v4 modes basically do remind me of overwatch because mm-hmm. it's all about map knowledge it's about yeah. and it's kind of it's obviously less ability based than overwatch but you're kind of almost getting those abilities on the fly like you said by finding the rocket launcher finding these weapons finding like over shields which like basically give you double health Mm -hmm. like it's about basically creating it's almost like a hero shooter on the fly in a way which i suppose is what arena shooters are at their core anyway but that's why i'm liking the fulfill modes and the fact that it is although you do have slayer which is basically team deathmatch first to 50 Mm -hmm. kills like objectives i do like objective based multiplayer that's why i've always liked overwatch and light siege because i like having that you know basically tactical awareness to it and halo is kind of you obviously do have tactics but at the same time it doesn't punish you if you do just want to go a bit rogue and Mm -hmm. go and kill yeah like ultimately like your team might lose but (laughs) you know (laughs) kind of like um there is that it's because the time to kill in Halo is substantially higher than a lot of other games, like mm-hmm. I'd say it's it's arguably even higher than some Overwatch characters, right? Like, oh yeah, might, well, yeah. might be Apart close to tanks. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. close to yeah. tank. But you obviously have to drill through an overshield, you know, like a like a, a a force field that surrounds a Spartan, and then you have to get the kill on the Spartan itself. So compared to Call of Duty, like you are fighting a lot longer, which means those kind of like moving around in little packs is very very mm-hmm. advantageous kind of like two mm. on one it's always going to be the two that pretty much gets that firefight dealt with whereas i think call of duty lets you like if you're really good on the twitch you can take two people out it's, it's all about yeah, reflex yeah. isn't it call of duty because yeah. the time skill is so short basically if you fire first you win like it's the yeah. it's the greedo hand solo of multiplayer mm-hmm. games whereas halo is much more like the Battle of Naboo. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to find a, trying to find a metaphor. You just, you just um, have a better chance when you're playing. If someone comes up behind you and you're going around mm-hmm. the corner, you let your you know shield charge a little bit and stuff. And also, there's some. I don't know if this is new to Halo Infinite because I know when I played Halo Three and Reach, like Mantelin, for example, that just makes the game feel a little bit more modern because mm-hmm. you know when you're playing multiplayer prior to these games, if you're in a tough spot and you're having a hard time trying to jump over something and someone comes behind you. You're gone, but at least here it feels a bit more modern. Brings the game up to, I guess, speed with other yeah, comparable models. You have shooters. like a micro chance to pull yourself up to safety because yeah, yeah. the the levels are kind of quite tiered. Yeah. So there's generally always everywhere you are like an opportunity to either jump up or jump down, mm. which obviously then kind of comes in very much with the grapple hook, right? Like if you can find the grapple hook, God, that feels so good to use. Yeah. <laughs> I think it only like in multiplayer it only comes with. I think you can fire it three times. Is it yeah, before I think it disappears? So, three. Yeah. But like having that does like we all know from Titanfall. Well, I say we all know from Titanfall two. Nobody <laughs> fucking played Titanfall two, did they? But um, if you play that game, you know how like transformative having a grapple hook can be in yeah. multiplayer. And I think Halo does that very well. Yeah, yeah. I, I just love that it's kind of 
99% skill based like if you mm. if you're good at a game you will do well like there's not a lot of luck to it like we said it's you're not picking loadouts there's no real meta to like kind of like you know Call of Duty is all about finding the right suppressor for yeah. the right gun and yeah. like whereas this is everyone's on an even playing field like incredibly well designed maps not a, not a ton of them at the moment but mm. like enough for a launch that is you know it's not getting stale at all and just yeah, it's all about, and like I said, even if you shoot first, you're not guaranteed to win that fight because it's all about re- like holding that recall. And normally, like if you're very accurate, you'll have enough in a full clip to take someone down. But more often than not, you'll either have to go for the melee or switch weapons mm-hmm. to get to finish off that kill. And it's just about for the first two hours, I wasn't doing very well because I was trying to play it like Call of Duty or Battlefield. Whereas, <laughs> yeah, you've got to get in that rhythm of like, right, I'm going to use my assault rifle to get their shield off, then go in for the melee to finish yeah. them off, and like just finding that rhythm is just. It's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm saying something that people have literally been doing for 20 years. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's just so fun. Grenade feels- tactics as well, right? Like there's yeah. so much more grenade throwing in Halo than pretty much any other multiplayer shooter. Mm, it, it just feels like a game that really benefits having like a fun team to play with. Like when we were playing yesterday, like you know, capture the flag. Like someone was getting in the car and meeting up with someone else as you're running towards mm-hmm. each other. Just at least that moments that are just so fun like that. that yeah, really I, I barely. Um, used any vehicles at the moment but like i feel like i should be doing it more because whenever anyone gets in like one of the flying wasps and stuff oh yeah I'm the, just the banshee like, like just you get fucked up yeah i don't know yeah i mean it's just very very fun like obviously it's by no means perfect like there's been a lot of talk and they're already addressing it to an extent the battle pass progression is not the best i've seen in the game it's very slow and the fact that it's all challenge based though didn't they last night i think introduced you get 50 xp for playing, playing a, match. a game yeah which means that like it still doesn't like so i don't own the battle pass and don't necessarily intend on buying it um and so my battle pass is going up very very slowly even with that 50 points for playing a match it's a very mm-hmm. very slow progression yeah. um the main thing for me is kind of like i'm less fussed about the cosmetic side of it like mm-hmm. um and there's nothing else that you need in that game like the entire game is designed to be played without a progression system like all the progression happens within the confines of a match yeah i do think if they added more i mean maybe that is i haven't looked if it's part of progression or if you earn them through doing the campaign but like one cool thing would be like getting different voices for your ai companion Mm. like especially if they got like celebrity voices and i'm imagining do you remember when rage put danny dyer in mm-hmm. as a voice? like something like that just some mad voices in there <laughs> as your uh, companion because they are like they could so easily be very annoying to have constantly going off in your ear but they are yeah. actually a great combination of useful and also just quite funny yeah <laughs> i think the it surprised me how good the contextual like awareness dialogue is mm-hmm. so that so for context for anybody that hasn't played it yet there's the match announcer that does all of the kind of like how many points you've got and stuff like that but your spartan has a personal ai which is effectively their version of cortana that will do call outs and sometimes when it's able to like literally call out like there's an enemy below you yeah um, like that suddenly becomes very very useful and obviously that is not based on like other people have to have been able to see that person and it's very much like how overwatch works like if someone on the team notices a sniper in overwatch their character will shout out sniper and Halo has a very, very similar system, but it is very well put together. Exactly. That is that's why it reminds me of Overwatch so much. Like obviously Overwatch must have borrowed a lot from Halo historically, but like yeah, this Halo is definitely borrowed from Overwatch in, in that regard. Like there is a ping system in Halo, but I'm hardly ever using it. Like I'm only ever using it if I literally have a challenge which is ping someone and then kill them. <laughs> like the ping system, like there's a lot you know, it's quite 
for also quite an objective-based game, it's quite a frantic game, I suppose. Like Overwatch, like it's, it's not like a siege. It's not like a slow-paced-out yeah, for sure. game. Like it's quite frantic. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just. I think most of all, like the biggest compliment you can pay is just, it's just ridiculously fun. And that's sometimes all you want from a game is just, yeah. this is fun. Like although I do have the battle pass, I'm not like, it's not. It shows a lot when I'm playing a game, and like that's the same thing with with Overwatch is that like I'm playing the game to enjoy the game rather than like some games I don't know like Warzone would be like oh, I'm playing this game just to get to the next level of the mm-hmm. battle pass yeah, yeah. I want like I'm not necessarily playing this game because it's the game I want to play right now <laughs> but like yeah Halo I just want to pop it on and play it just like I think we were saying yesterday like it's a sign of a great game that even when you're losing and playing badly you're just still having a great time like I'm not getting annoyed because you because it's so skill-based, you only have yourself to blame. It's not like... There's nothing unfair about that game, I don't think. It's not like, oh, that guy had this ability. Yeah, no, no one's coming in with, like, and... mad pre-order bonuses and stuff that buff them up mid-match or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just... I can't wait to play more. Mm. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about Halo in the future. But for now, that's enough multiplayer. Matt, mm. you have had the privilege of being able to play, what, the first four missions of the campaign? I have, yes. And... um delighted to say it's absolutely fantastic i really like this and so for i i think i've we've briefly spoken about this before on podcasts where there wasn't a huge amount to talk about but over this year i've been playing the the halo campaigns again kind of like some of them for the first time you know the first replay i've done of them since they originally came out and so to play them all back to back you really notice kind of like the evolution of that series and also how much of a catastrophic drop-off Halo 5 is. Halo mm-hmm. 5 is a bad campaign. Like, a genuinely... <laughs> I wouldn't know. That's, I would that's not the know. only why, one I've why, not Why played. was it bad? Histo- uh, give us a little background. So Matt, Halo, what went wrong? Halo 5, um, like, thematically and, um, like, story-driven, is, is a dreadful story campaign. It follows Halo 4, which I think is a very, very good campaign and really demonstrated that after Bungie leaving kind of like Halo as a franchise it felt like it had moved into good hands at least on the campaign side I didn't actually play a lot of Halo 4 multiplayer but I know that that was less well received but the Halo 4 campaign is genuinely quite good it's a little bit more constrained than the previous Bungie Halos have been but it does take the good some good ideas from Call of Duty in that like that cinematic first person perspective and also like honed the storyline in really on Chief and Cortana and it's a really really good like very emotionally complex story. Yeah. Halo 5 like was based on a on a on a marketing campaign like that led into it that was very much about the idea of like has the chief gone rogue and okay. all of this. And what it does is it splits the story over two characters you play as a guy called Locke and you play as a guy and you play as the master chief um in squads um, doing a storyline which involves Locke chasing down Chief to try and effectively arrest him um, against this backdrop of... The thing I've quite liked about the Halo mythos is that ultimately it's actually reasonably simple. It's just got very effective kind of archetypes that it works with. Halo 5 goes like full sci-fi mumbo-jumbo like <laughs> in, a, in a way that just doesn't work for it. It's spectacular in terms of its visuals. It's got some really good strong visuals but when it comes then down to the gameplay because you're in squads there's just a lot of kind of things that don't work for halo like there's a lot of when you die you end up having to wait for your squad ai to come and pick you up 
and the uh, squad AI is bad, so it just like ruins <laughs> and disrupts the flow of the game. They yeah. changed a lot of the weaponry designs they added. Halo Infinite does have zoom now, but zoom came in 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 Halo Five, and it really disrupts like the flow of combat in comparison to the previous Halos. A lot of small things like that, um, yeah. like quite frustrating enemy encounter designs. And a really bad structure to the campaign where there's a lot of like downtime that just doesn't make sense. Okay. Mm. It sounds like they went a bit gears of war with it in a way. Oh, it's just I don't it's know. Just not what for they you. Went. Only, yeah. Why don't we talk about something you're very excited? You're playing, <laughs> yeah, which this, is the current. This Halo. builds into what Halo Halo Infinite is, which is I hesitate to say that it's like a complete like back to Bungie's ideas, because it's not. It is it has a certain amount of open world to it. And I don't want to say, certainly at the point that I've got to, it's not an open world game in the same way that like Horizon is or all yeah. that stuff. But it certainly borrows a lot of ideas from the likes of Far Cry. But I would say it's a little bit more like doing campaign missions that then lead you into a section of open world that is okay. a bit more... F- because obviously the way that a Halo ring is formatted, it's not a massive map, Right. They're mm-hmm. kind of long strips of land as the Halo ring spins round. Is it is it kind of in a way more akin to like a death loop? It's kind of open but very linear at the same time. Maybe, but so I'll I'll I'll, I'll explain how the opening yeah. of the game works. I'm not going to talk about story at all because I don't you know okay. let's let's not go there. But yeah. you do a couple of campaign missions at the start, which are very much feel like Halo, as in like there's no open world there. You're just going from place to place. Mm-hmm. They're in spaceships and internal designs. Um, and then you get to a point where you come to the Halo ring that, that this that this game is about. And then it kind of opens up. And what you've got is you can go to what are called forward operating bases, which on a, if we were talking like the language of Far Cry, imagine something that's a cross between a very small outpost and a radio tower. So yeah. when you go in and you take all the enemies out and you capture that forward operating base for yourself, it puts extra activities on the map and it's like hey we've unlocked all of the things that are in this area you can go and do the side activities those side activities include there are like um chests around which have got like upgrades for your armor so you can start um to upgrade like your grapple hook or you can upgrade like your threat detector upgrade your mm-hmm. overshield so that's a little bit like how like a lot of games have like like so for example in Far Cry at the moment when you find like all of the Supremo bond which allows you yeah. to upgrade your yeah. your current equipment that's but, that equivalent. But there isn't actual crafting. You're just no 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 things. no it's no crafting at all. It's it's I like it because it's a bit more straight up. Like you get what you're given. You go you find mm-hmm. a crate you open it. It's got an upgrade module that you slot into your armor in whichever okay. one you want and your armor is now better. And Are any of those rain? visual. No, no. So when you find things in the world, like Master Chief will pick them up, but it's not a case of they're nebulous enough. So it's not like you have picked up a grapple thing. It's like you've picked up a currency that now allows you to make it better. And am I right in thinking that you tell me some of those things are even like multiplayer unlockables? I have found things, yeah, that like you'll find like a locker and it will be like, oh, you've you found like a multiplayer skin. Um, okay that's quite cool so i mean it's kind of encouraging people who would only play multiplayer you might want to play the campaign Mm -hmm. to get some Mm -hmm. of the stuff yeah um there's also kind of like um groups of marines which i think has been shown before in trailers and you can go and find them and like they might be either like sometimes they're being held hostage by by the i say the covenant forces these days it's the um 
the Banished, which are like a splinter faction of the Covenant from mm-hmm. the original series. Um, and they'll have them like held hostage or sometimes they're just kind of lost in the environment and like you come <laughs> up and say, hey, come with me, you're going to come back. And what I'm doing these little things and that kind of leads up to there are then like actual outposts which are big kind of i'm surprised about how big they are like big fortresses that have got like objectives in them mm. you complete those objectives and then you capture that that kind of area this all gives you uh like i hesitate to call it a currency because that sounds like it's something else but you gain these things that it's called valor so you'll earn a certain amount of points of valor for doing those things and basically imagine that the single player has for lack of a better term, like its own battle pass. So each time mm-hmm. you get Valor, it unlocks a new thing on this linear path of unlocks. And then when you go to forward operating bases, you can call those items in. So like very early on, you'll unlock the ability to call in a mongoose, which are the ATVs. Okay. But then get more Valor, and you'll be able to say like... So there are like ammo packs around it, but at the start of the game, it only gives you either the assault rifle or the psychic pistol. But gain mm-hmm. enough Valor to unlock the like the commando rifle it's yeah. almost metal gear solid 5 in that respect to a degree yeah there's a little bit of those kind of ideas yeah you're you're earning the more kind of stuff you do to help liberate the and explore the halo mm-hmm. zeta ring you get more points which gradually linearly unlocks new things which when you're going like okay i'm going to go and attack this kind of big stronghold outpost but the stuff that I've got isn't what I want, so I'm going to go to my weapons bin, I'm going to open it, because I've previously unlocked these two weapons, I'm going to choose those two, and then because I've now unlocked the Warthog with the rocket launchers on the back, I'm going to get in that, I'm going to go and get some Marines, they're going to get in the back, they're going to get on the rocket launcher, and I'm (laughs) going to go and do this. So kind of like, it does that thing that I like in games where systems play into each other. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so doing one thing allows you to do another thing, which then allows you to be better at this thing. Mm. Amazing. I, I've got a few questions for you, Matt. Mm-hmm. A quick, there's a few quickfire Halo questions for you. What's the best weapon you've used in the campaign yet, so far? I have like a massive soft spot still for the assault rifle, and a part of that is <laughs> That's so fucking boring. I know, mate. but part of it is is the, they, <laughs> they butchered the assault rifle for Halo Five. Like they they okay. completely lowered its rate of fire. It's back to the real nice, buttery, fast assault rifle. Mm. Um, but there is i know you like the grapple the, tell us about the so grapple. the grapple you can upgrade to um put a like a stun on it so when you fire it into enemies it stuns them like it, it's cool. like a taser okay and then you pull yourself into them and as you finish it you can whack them but the thing i love so much about the combat i've spoken quite a lot on the podcast about how much i like halo's combat because of the interplay between the different types of mm-hmm. of, of characters that you're fighting against because the world is just a little bit more open and a little bit more kind of wider now, kind of like before Halo would open itself up into big kind of combat arenas. But now those combat arenas don't have boundaries because you're not in a level. It's a, an open section. Yeah. So there's a lot more space to kind of zip around and like make use of different heights of, of geography and stuff like that. So the grapple hook plays massively into that and kind of creates a huge amount of chaos. Because what you can do is... Halo has its equivalent of the explosive barrels that you see in so many shooters. But you can fire the grapple hook into those and pull the barrel towards you and then hurl that back at an enemy. And like as you're doing that, you can then 
like jump to the side and headshot something boot something so it goes into an explosion as that <laughs> explosive barrel you've just thrown explodes that sounds wicked to me it's almost like so it's nowhere near as fast as doom but it does feel a bit like the chaotic ideas of doom which has got like so many things that you're thinking about of any one time mm. bolted mm. onto like the fundamental ideas of a far cry game but then whereas far cry's you know i think far cry's main quests are bad I think they're all yeah, very okay. boring. In Halo, a main quest is like a Halo main story mission from the previous games where they're set in big, like bespoke environments for that mission yeah. with a lot of thoughts about height and and sort of like the way that you'll fight within specific regions of that level. And so I kind of think it has found a way to be the best of both a traditional linear campaign but while also stitching those linear campaign missions together with a more coherent open world. Um, it does, I say it this does from only good. experiencing four missions. It could all yeah. sink, yeah. right? Like, what, my... that's, what I was, that's what I was going to ask. Like, from... You've only played four missions. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just trying to... Like, I think a lot of people, maybe when they hear the words open world, not that this is fully open world, it's a sort of open mm-hmm. world. I imagine a longer game, like you know, yeah. a Halo campaign would normally what be eight to ten hours, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. Like open world games tend to be longer than that. Are you getting a sense that this is longer than your average Halo? It's game? Definitely longer than your average Halo game because I say probably to do those four missions, I think it's taken me about four hours. But obviously, I've also been pottering around the open world. Mm-hmm. But yeah. whereas something like Horizon or or like an Assassin's Creed, when we think of open world, means that you can go anywhere. Yeah. I don't I have a section of the map unlocked. Yeah. Which means okay. I can only work around in there. I must say I've not been to the boundaries of that, so I don't know if you can walk past the boundaries, but I get mm. the impression is is that each new mission you do unlocks a new section of the Halo ring and then you can yeah. do the open world activities in it. And obviously like if you want to power through the campaign, I think the idea is is then you'd be able to come back to earlier places and do activities you might not have done. But it definitely feels like the idea is is to serve it up a bit more piecemeal than an open world, but still have like those numerous activities that an open world would have. But certainly, if I'd been playing it for four hours on like Halo Three, I'd be halfway through the campaign at this point. Yeah, um, I don't know. I might be halfway through the campaign. It might only be eight <laughs> missions long. I get I, the impression not. It doesn't feel in the story like yeah. I'm that far. I wanted to. But- um- ask i'm not sure if you have an answer for this but from the first gameplay footage that was shown like do you think the work of halo infinite being delayed can you see like any improvements in the final product because i remember you know there was like a decent backlash from the Mm -hmm. state of how infinite looked like and what it might play like as well yeah so i would say in terms of like visuals i think i've already seen like in because obviously previews went live this morning yeah yeah I've seen people talking about how it looks like a glorified Xbox One game, um, which to a degree, like, it is a game that runs on Xbox One. Like, that was the whole idea of it, right? Um, I don't think it is a game that is going to graphically stun anyone. However, I am a fan of what Halo looks like, and this is the best-looking Halo game to date. So Mm. you are... Halo has a lot of kind of, like, iconography that it constantly uses throughout the game because most of them are set on Halo rings as the title. So Halo rings have a very Verdant kind of like 
northern forests kind of look to its mm. its surface and obviously when you drill deeper underneath the surface of a halo ring you then go into forerunner architecture which is all very much kind of like angular and the kind of almost diamond shapes that that, yeah. that stuff uses mm-hmm. i have obviously seen a lot of that now and to see that like with good modern day reflections on them and see like enemy characters that have much more detail on them yeah but they definitely aren't we're not talking kind of like god of war or i mean i say Mm. that as a playstation 4 game but what's something that's come out recently that's just fucking horizon forza horizon yeah 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 Mm. it's not it's not forza horizon in terms of like that straight up visual fidelity i still think it's a good looking game it's still like when i can climb to like the top of a big like rocky outcrop and just look over the halo and then like zoom in on enemies and be able to see good detail like it's a pretty game and it's got yeah. like it's a colorful game and i think i've always admired kind of halo's color palette it's mm. it's almost to the point of being gaudy but in kind of like a cool sci-fi way yeah mixing greens think, with purples and blues mm-hmm. i mean this is all sounding great and i'm now excited for halo having never been really excited for halo before because this sounds like what i maybe am into and like mm. i think the only disappointment for me and probably a lot of people is that they recently i think i'd literally just saw a tweet a news story now that co-op for this game won't be coming until may at the very earliest which yeah is a shame because this sounds like the sort of game that would be amazing to just co-op and like grapple around just warthog around the map like mm-hmm. together yeah. like it feels like it is to an and i know it's obviously not built for co-op because it's a single player campaign but it feels like elements of this were built with co-op in mind and that's going to be delayed by what at least five months now yeah. co-op's I'm... been like a mainstay for like previous halo games it's just mm-hmm. so weird to not have it there at launch yeah it's like i've you know my replay of halo this year has all been done in co-op and like Mm. i'm currently playing um far cry in co-op which is why i've been like comparing it a lot um Mm -hmm. because obviously it draws a lot of ideas and i fundamentally i don't actually think far cry 6 is all that great but i am enjoying the format of i think the format of far cry is good for cooperative play that whole idea of like you're going to go in from this entrance in this camp and i'm going to go in from this entrance and we're going to pin some movement all of that is fundamentally good co-op fodder. The idea to be able to do that with a much more fluid and engaging combat system in a world yeah. that I just think is more engaging than than what Far Cry has been able to produce. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a shame I'm not going to be spending my Christmas playing this yeah. in co-op. Yeah. I mean, the way I see it is play it through this this Christmas single player normally and then maybe when Carp launches like that's a good excuse to try it on like legendary or something yeah, with yeah. A friend mm-hmm. and try and get through it and assuming the rest of the campaign is is brilliant that is and it doesn't fall off a cliff but you know <laughs> we're hopeful like if the multiplayer and the first four missions are aiming to go by there's no reason yeah to it, presume that anything is going wrong mm, with this game it feels like to me kind of like you know there are tidbits around the story that you can go and read if that's what you kind of want to find out where it's going but it feels like it's going back to that slightly more uh, for the chief personally i think a slightly more emotionally complex kind of storyline but the actual mm-hmm. events of what are going on so far i think are closer to but what the stories that bungie used to tell it's much more in the vein of halo 3 and so i think if you liked those like archetypical star sci-fi stories that bungie used to like to tell about kind of like finding things on remote planets and stuff like that while also having chief having to assess his relationship with you know where it was with cortana and how he fits into Mm -hmm. like 
he's an old weary soldier by this point and i think you're starting to be able to tell that he's kind of is he like a bit old snake at this point not of. not quite that because old snake is very kind of like that is the point of of <laughs> yeah. those those games but he's getting close to that sort of character i think kind of like he's just just maybe slightly sadder than he used to be which for a man that's been genetically in, you know built up to be sort of an unthinking soldier kind of is something i hope that over the space of this campaign it really drills down into that mm. nice i mean yeah it sounds like halo infinite shaping up on the campaign side to be very good and the multiplayer is already excellent so yeah from one game i previously wasn't really infused about all to of now just pretty much in love with halo infinite to a series of games i was once in love with and now i've lost all enthusiasm <laughs> for the gta trilogy definitive edition came out last week and Yay. look i've i've dabbled in all three of these now and I won't lie, I'm having I'm having fun because yeah. these are fundamentally great games. Mm. In many ways they haven't aged well and these remasters uh definitely haven't aided that process at all. Yeah. I, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go through like I was originally gonna go through I plan to go through all three of these games in order and enjoy them fully. I played about two hours of GTA three and realised, you know what, this is too simple for me at this point, I'm gonna have to skip it. Like I was I was bored. I played the first couple hours of Vice City. Better, still into it, still Vice City. But again, the mission design was a little too simple. And I know Vice City, from memory, gets a lot more interesting the further you get into it. Mm. And then I booted up San Andreas, which I think is, for me anyway, leaps and bounds ahead in terms of... Especially from the get-go, it's a much better opening than the opening to the other two games. Like It gets you straight into it and straight into that character. And you're doing... Just the fact you start off on a push bike, to me... It's just I don't know. I've always loved that opening. That it's not just the same. We've got to drive to this place and get someone. And like, whereas it's it's something a bit different. Yeah. Um, but obviously, that's not the headlines of GTA Trilogy. <laughs> Everyone knows these games are historically good. Yeah. The problem is, and I know Jesse, you've 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 done a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of analysis. Some would say on this issue. Um, mm. There's a couple of bugs in this game. It's 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 mad when you think about because like. I guess the main question is like, are these definitive editions like um, the ideal way or the best way to play through these games? And ultimately, like it's a resounding no. It's probably the easiest way to play because, you know, the older versions have been removed. But with the definitive edition, they're not using the PS2 or Xbox era as the foundation. It's the mobile remasters. And then on top of that, it's the PlayStation 3 slash Xbox 360 versions, all of which they all had bugs. And that's the like the basis yeah. of the definitive it, edition. It's mad. The more you think about it, that they've used the word definitive. Yeah. Just call it the GTA Trilogy Remaster site. <laughs> in fact, you you have decided, even probably after testing these for announcing it, have gone. <laughs> Do you know what? These are the definitive editions of these games. It, it's it's just mad because there's no, there's no cohesion or or just any reason in terms of what these games now look like. I, like for me, Vice City looks like Simpsons Hit and Run. San Andreas just looks mad, and three is just super dark now. It, it's just they're kind of just ugly. Yeah, and I will say, like a lot of the bugs and glitches you've probably seen online, if you've been paying any attention to this, are like you know cars piling to pedestrians, people with mad fingers, <laughs> like stuck in I trees. Don't know. 
yeah, just like yeah, people stuck in trees <laughs> screaming, planes just exploding out of nowhere. Like a lot of this stuff when I'm playing GTA, and I I remember this as a kid. Like I would find this stuff hilarious. To me, that's just funny. If yeah. I saw some pedestrians screaming into a tree, <laughs> I would laugh. Um, and but it's when it gets to the point where like it's breaking missions for you. You can't complete yeah. missions. Like it just won't control right. Like that's where it becomes an issue. Where like those are like glitches are funny bugs are just annoying <laughs> yeah i had when i was playing through san andreas the other day i had a plane out of nowhere spawn mid cutscene, destroy a car i had to get in and the mission failed instantly and i was like i'm not sure that ever happened on the ps2 <laughs> no i don't yeah what like there'll be lots of like like what is this almost the sort of thing like is this something that can just be patched or I, like i don't think it is because it's it's essentially it's like fundamental game code isn't yeah it? it's it's core <laughs> it's to like... the mobile version which is like the basis and stuff i don't think patches like they can probably solve you know a few mm-hmm. like on surface things like the really hideous fucking rain in the game <laughs> and stuff yeah. um but when it I comes mean, I to those i think you can bugs, fix all this like cody's not made of like concrete that you can't like change it's no, just but, like there's whether some it's, stuff in there that seems so fundamental that i doubt they'll get round to fixing it's, all of this. it's whether it's cost effective exactly that's what i mean and it probably isn't there it's like they'll do a few patches and then once that's one and done i don't think they're going to be touching like yeah you're never gonna and i personally don't have an issue with the visual style of it like the more cartoony yeah the more cartoony like character models i don't like some of them do look very odd that's it i will i will the thing is is, overall i don't mind it because it's they're cartoony games yeah Yeah. and that visual style harks back to the front covers of those games like you look at what like the covers Mm -hmm. of those original games were they were all done as almost like comic book strips right yeah yeah, covers um so i kind of don't mind that it it leans into that because they were way way cartoonier games at that point they were designed Mm. almost like capers whereas the modern ones are like you know odes to martin yeah. scorsese those original ones were much more like dumb and, and silly and kind of like far more as you say kind of cartoony but um yeah it's kind of like the other bit right where yeah. where it goes down the drain i just i don't yeah i'm, I'm not having the uh, i thought i'd get these games and i wouldn't be able to put them down and that's that's the opposite of what's mm. happened basically and i'm still going to persevere with san andreas just because i do love that game and i want to i do want to play through san andreas unfortunately that does seem the one that's the most effective <laughs> by uh by mad things happening but yeah. um i'm definitely going to carry on with san andreas it's just it's just like and i know there's the argument like no one's ever telling you you need to pre-order a game, but a lot of people will will have pre-ordered these games just out of habit because they know, oh, GTA Trilogy, these are games I love, I want to play them like in this new format. Yeah, And obviously them not showing the games beforehand to anyone mm-hmm. is an issue. Like, But yeah, like I think it's just, you know, I'm not blaming, like this is going to sound like I'm blaming the consumer, I'm not at all. Like, it's just a good lesson to learn. And we learned it with Cyberpunk don't pre-order games it's until you've thing, seen right, them is that like and especially with um with cyberpunk as well is that those are two games that come from developers that have got very very good reputations for releasing yeah. some f- things that are very good like i don't yeah. know witcher was buggier when it came out but in general a gta when it comes out comes out is. when it's done like they don't yeah, tend yeah, to yeah. put apart from the online maybe yeah yeah mm. but like those campaigns like gta 5 came out in a very very good state like red dead redemption 2 came out in a very good state mm. So we've got used to trusting Rockstar's kind of sense of... It's just not like them at all to, like, put this out just, like, in this state. Like, they normally, like, wait until they're ready and, like, they're, like... I don't know why they felt... Maybe because 
the GTA 5 remaster was meant to come out this winter and they were like well we've got to put something out this winter yeah we'd rather this mm-hmm. be in a bad state than gta 5 be in a bad state so this is the thing it's it's happened before with the mobile and then ps3 slash 360 era but no one really noticed because by that point like no one really cared that much it's not like it was advertised as like this is the definitive edition it's just like hey there's a few graphical things that's it but now you know you had that like what one trailer I swear there was just only one trailer for this. It was just basically a graphics comparison trailer, wasn't it? it was, that's yeah. all it was. Yeah. There was no like actual gameplay. It was actual all gameplay. Engine, but uh, yeah. It's 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 just disappointing, isn't it? And yeah. I like I said, I'm gonna still play San Andreas through Greater Teeth because it is ultimately still better than getting my PS two out from I don't know where it is in my loft somewhere <laughs> and hooking that up and playing it there. Yeah. But like that is the like there are positives to it like it does control a lot better like i like that they have the modern controls and driving specifically is a lot better in that game the shooting questionable whether that's much better but yeah like it, they do control better there's auto saves you can restart there are some pluses to this yeah but for all, sure. as a whole package it is just disappointing isn't it yeah and I, I don't like being disappointed i don't like talking about things that disappoint me but <laughs> there we go maybe you can lighten the mood jesse because you and I still haven't seen this film, and I'm excited to go see it. You have seen the new Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Afterlife. I certainly have. So, um, I, you don't sound infused. I want you to sound infused. No, like, I, so, so this thing, like, Ghostbusters is this weird thing where, like, when, I think, what, the 2016 film? Was it, was it in 2016? So, yeah, like, 17, around then. When that was coming out and stuff, like, for me, anyway, as a kid, I have no real memories of, like, OG Ghostbusters films. Like, I watched them as a kid, but they didn't leave, like, any long-lasting mm-hmm. impressions or any like nostalgia in me and stuff so i went into um afterlife with somewhat of a fresh mind and i like, really really enjoyed it like i haven't really watched a film like that in a while that just left me you know smiling because it's it's a cute film it's funny and it's just like pleasant to watch and i think the new cast as well because the film focuses on uh i think her name is mckenna S- grace yeah isn't it yeah. kids. um i thought she was really really good in the film and like if they end up making a sequel to you know um another sequel to ghostbusters it'll be great to have sort of just like this young kind of like teenager mm-hmm. cast not quite stranger things because that's you have no. a little bit well, of a from the of trailers that. Remind, have you seen the film super eight the jj abrams no i haven't okay uh, matt you're you're nodding i like, love like super eight i think it's cracking. It's, it's a really good film it's a forgotten film uh people people don't remember it but yeah i was getting that sort of vibes from it like group of kids like stumble across something they shouldn't have sort of thing and alien threat in many ways like Remind me of the original Ghostbusters from the trailer, but also like an 80s Spielberg, like an E.T. or something. And mm. yeah, I, I'm excited. From, like when a lot of the reviews came out like a month or so ago, I saw a lot of people just like trashing it, going like, this is a cash in on nostalgia and stuff. I mean, but I've seen the, a lot of people have watched it and gone, do you know what? It's actually quite heartwarming and I like it. So. I think that that issue there where people are saying it's a bit of a cash in. Although I don't have many memories of the original Ghostbusters, there's certainly an element towards the end of the film that feels like that. It's a bit kind of like Rogue One CGI kind of stuff where they do something like that. Okay. And like it felt a little bit cheap to me, but it didn't really ruin the entire film for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm looking for, like, is it... I'm trying not to, like, I don't know how well you were remember the original ghostbusters but like is it sort of a 
Force Awakens thing where they've just taken that plot line and done it again, or are they doing something different? That's the thing I really don't remember the first film. Right. I don't Let remember. Like, if, I don't remember the, the first film is nineteen eighty. Like, can't remember when Ghostbusters. Is it like a full on comedy? The first film because I can't. Yeah, well, remember. it's basically a satire. Like, mm. and this is the weird thing of Ghostbusters. Like, they've kind of nowadays it's kind of considered this like family thing, whereas back in the day, like the original film, it's like it's like a satire. It's not like. Like kids enjoyed Ghostbusters, but yeah. like it was a, it's not a kids' film necessarily. Like it's a satire with like some like like quite adult jokes in there at times <laughs> okay. as well. Like yeah. and nowadays, because obviously like, it's transformed into something else. There was the animated show that a lot of people loved, and like these days it is kind of and they're definitely positioning this one as it's led by kids as like a big like family thing. But that's like where these films kind of like these redoings of eighties stuff kind of like fall like. Like, I'm sure it's enjoyable, but it's like, who is the target audience here? Because yeah. you're doing a kid's film, whereas really, if you're trying to aim for that nostalgia, you should be aiming for people in their 30s, 40s, 50s who mm. love Ghostbusters, whereas actually you're targeting this at their kids who have no nostalgia for Ghostbusters whatsoever. So <laughs> yeah. it's kind of caught in this middle ground where I think this film will do well, and I'm intrigued to see what like the general public think, because... Yeah. Like it, I, sometimes, you know, film critics can be a bit snooty and kind of waiting mm. for that chance to like rip into something that is just seemingly a cash grab. But yeah. it seems like, especially because this is directed by Jason Reitman, who is mm. Ivan Reitman's son, who directed the original Ghostbusters. From listening to him talk about his film, like it's a real personal project for him, and like yeah. he's like always wanted to do this. He obviously grew up around the original Ghostbusters, and like so, yeah, it feels like. I'm hoping for a film full of heart, basically. Yeah, it's got, like, it's... When I was watching it, it just felt like... Because I was in a just screening by myself, I never really had that experience where I could just watch the film in complete, you know, silence and just absorb everything. It just felt like a nice kind of summer holiday film of, like, you know, this family going to this new location and the kids mm-hmm. are meeting, like, you know, everyone in town and stuff and they're coming together to, like, this big adventure. It kind of felt like, like the Goonies in that way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, just a nice film with, you know, funny beats and oh. a bit of heart, I guess. Nice. I'm going to see it. I think this one is cinemas only. Do you know that, Matt? I th- I'll look up now. I don't think it's on streaming anyway. Oh, I so. think nothing's going to stream. We've finished the era Apart of streaming, from H- haven't uh, we? HBO no. Max films. <laughs> I think some HBO Max films are still there. Uh, isn't The Matrix HBO Max Day? I, I thought Dune is was it? the last of the HBO Max. Was it? Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? We don't have HBO Max anyway, so everything's cinema for us. I thought so, it's okay um, now. Not yet, is it? It's coming soon. Oh. But anyway... Yeah, yeah, there we go. Ghostbusters. Uh, yeah, let us know what you think of Ghostbusters if you've seen it. IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN dot com. I'm gonna. I've actually got the whole of next week off. Maybe I'll try and go and see Ghostbusters. You uh, should. It's fun. Yeah, there we go. I've never seen the original Ghostbusters in a cinema, so been mm. my first Ghostbusters cinema experience. Um, <laughs> I tell you what, I did see though last week is a film that I can now talk about. Um, that's out. In America next week in limited cinemas, I think like it might only be out in like New York and LA, and then in December it's out everywhere. But it's not out till January in the UK, so I'll, I'll mention it again in January. But I saw Licorice Pizza, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film. Such a gross and... title. Nah, nah, nah. There's nothing <laughs> bad about this film. Before we go any it? further, yes. Does yes. Licorice Pizza mean anything within the context of the film? So. <laughs> um, Licorice Pizza is the name of an old record shop that used to be in LA. Right. So okay. that's like there is no licorice or pizza in the film. Spoilers. <laughs> like it's not about the food. Um, what I will say is, and 
people may want to take my opinions on this one with a pinch of salt because I am a self-confessed Paul Thomas Anderson. I don't know. I don't want to say fanboy. So I hate that word. But like, he is he is basically my hero. Like mm. any film he comes out with, I will watch and probably love. Like there'll be buds my favorite film of all time. Boogie Nights, The Master. I think all in my top ten. Like love his films. Licorice Pizza is the best film I've seen since There'll Be Blood. Like it's the best film wow. of the last fourteen or fifteen years, and it's all very raw. I only saw it a week ago, but I have wanted to watch it again ever since I saw it. If you don't know what it is, it is set in the nineteen seventies in LA. Um, it's about Alana Kane, who is played by Alana Heim from the band Heim. Um, it's her first ever performance in a film and she is unbelievable she's basically playing a woman in her mid-twenties who's kind of a bit lost a bit wandering in the world she's kind of her when we meet her in the film she is basically taking children's photos on a school photo day Mm. and at this school photo day she meets gary valentine who is played by cooper hoffman the the son of the late great philip seymour hoffman and this is his first ever film role and he is also unbelievably good and basically he is playing this 15 year old boy who basically asks this mid-20s woman out for a date (laughs) he's a very confident entrepreneurial young man and basically for the next two hours 10 minutes you are going with these with this couple who are it's, it's kind of a whole will they won't they like are they just very good friends thing through i don't know a series of months mm. if not a couple of years through la uh in the 70s with events happening around them and just kind of the capers they get in together and it's just a very funny romantic comedy i suppose is what you'd call it and okay. it's by far his funniest films the way i've kind of compared it if you've seen boogie nights it's a much sweeter Boogie Nights with a lot more heart and a lot less cocaine. Mm. And I can't get enough of this film. As usual, some amazing needle drops from Paul Thomas Anderson. Just some great songs. You've got like Wings, David Bowie, like The Doors. Like it's, it's just I I I would if I could talk about this uh, this film for about two hours. <laughs> it's just I think in particular if I know you, Matt, you might love this film. I don't know if you particularly love paul thomas anderson i've never i like paul thomas anderson a lot like uh, the same with you kind of like there will be blood was my favorite film of the year that it came out which considering the competition it got because like no country for old men came out that year as well zodiac Mm. yeah Yeah. Um, good year but an absolutely tremendous piece also a lot funnier than a lot of people give that film credit for his films are very funny Mm -hmm. there'll be blood is quite funny phantom fred is very funny yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, but this one is definitely going for all that it's got those like I actually rewatched Inherent Vice yesterday, which was his film that never quite hit for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like it, I just don't love it anywhere near as much as other films. But it's got the best bits from that, which are like just like you've got these two main characters, in Alana and Gary, who are just like the emotional core of it, and then like these other mad characters just kind of interwoven between them. Like you've got Sean Penn in there, you've got Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. They just come in for like 10, 15 minutes and just kind of steal everything. And they're just playing these caricatures who are just <laughs> hilarious. It sounds to me as if it's got the side of PTA that I like a lot because, so I know that you like this film a lot, Cardi, but I don't is the master and the master is very, very like heavy and very 
(laughs) Shout at me all you want. I shouted at you last week. But for me, the master's like very kind of serious and very Mm -hmm. heavy. And it's it's got some slight quirks to it. But the subject matter it's dealing with almost doesn't allow it to have... Yeah, there's almost no comedy in Yeah, that. whereas I really like that thing of, like, the PTA will always have, like, a through line. And like you say, like, threads, these characters that aren't in it for very long. Like, there's, mm-hmm. you know, in There Will Be Blood, there's the weird kind of guy that suddenly turns out he's, like, been impersonating and yeah, all yeah. that, like... <laughs> I like these things that come in for kind of like a like a, a ten minute arc. I mean, like Boogie Nights and Magnolia do that best because they're like basically like odes to the old like Robert Alt- Robert Altman films mm-hmm. like Nashville and stuff like that. And I feel like I need to see these films. Oh well, it's because he's the best filmmaker of our generation, <laughs> Jesse. I mean, uh, I remember when you forced me to watch There Will Be Blood on a uh, plane. Well, was, <laughs> I was sitting next to you on a plane for eleven hours, and you couldn't get out of the aisle unless you watched it. So, and to be fair, watching There Will Be Blood on a plane screen is not the most ideal uh, place to watch it. But I'm glad you did it anyway. It was a very I'm good film. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, I'll probably talk about Licorice Pizza again in January just to remind people it's out because I want everyone to see this film because. I, I like with no hyperbole whatsoever. I like it is one of the greatest films I've ever seen. Like I mm. think I prefer it to Boogie Nights, which is a big thing for mm. me. Like this, yeah, it's just unbelievable. Also, good. Well, since Watch we're talking trailer. about Paul Thomas Anderson, I've got like an anecdote from when I saw There Will Be Blood in the cinema for the second time that like I've never had mm-hmm. opportunity to talk about on this podcast. So I'm <laughs> Go on. Say it now. There was a guy, like, this was, like, maybe about four weeks into There Will Be Blood being out, so I'd seen it in its first week. Mm-hmm. And so there weren't many people in the cinema, but I convinced some friends that, like, had never seen a PTA film before to to go and see it. And there was a guy about five rows in front of us that I'm fairly convinced had probably just gone into the cinema, just looked at the names of the films that were on and chosen this. <laughs> Under and so was probably convinced it was like either an action film or a horror film or a revenge plot or something like that. Yeah. And the opening to There Will Be Blood is obviously like about fifteen minutes of like no. There's talking. no dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a man with a pickaxe. With a pickaxe mm. mining for <laughs> silver, right? Is at the start of the mm. first one. And this guy is obviously getting like increasingly like agitated that nothing's going on, and then you know he sets the dynamite off and accidentally collapses himself and falls down. Mm-hmm. This guy leapt out of his seat and started doing like gang signs in the air. What? He was so excited by the fact that something had happened, and then obviously well. like within the next half an hour he leaves the cinema and doesn't come back. But yeah. just oh, such a he was expecting a lot more blood. Mm, yeah, he would have yeah. got it if he'd stayed to the end. Okay. Yeah, everyone watch all of Paul Thomas Anderson's films. Yeah, Are there any films of his that you should avoid? No. Fair enough. Like um, they're 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 all at least good. Like my least favorites are Inherent Vice because that one just meanders and kind. Of, I like the first half of that film a lot. Kind of goes nowhere. I think. Um, uh, Magnolia is like on seven. for more than three hours. <laughs> nah, oh, wow. slightly less. Slightly less. Than Isn't three. Magnolia? I'm fairly sure is like 188 minutes, which puts nah. it eight minutes over three hours. Nah. <laughs> uh, I I love that film. It's a lot of but, um, shit. Like, I don't think it has less than the seven. Like Punch Drunk Love is also. Like on the lower end for me, but still very good. But yeah, well, he's just uh, to quote uh, to name after one of his films. He is the master. So there you go. And Licorice Pizza, I think, is probably his most accessible film yet that anyone okay. will enjoy. So yeah, I hope it does really well and everyone sees it and it wins every award possible. It's winning all of mine. Um, to continue my niche section of things that couldn't be more up my alley, 
the uh, Radiohead exhibition dropped on PlayStation 5 yesterday. And those are words I never thought I'd say. Um, also, do you, did anyone see that yesterday, I think it appeared in Fortnite or in the code of Fortnite, that there is some Radiohead stuff in Fortnite? Oh my god. Because <laughs> obviously the uh, ex- exhibition is done with Epic Games. So mm. like... There was like I don't know some unlockables that were like a Radiohead album cover or something. I mean, it is the ultimate way to promote your stuff by this yeah, point. Yeah, but like this is if I had to pick any band in the world that wouldn't want anything to do with Fortnite, I would have picked Radiohead. But then again, you never know what Radiohead are going to do next. So maybe like, they the just same sold time. out. Maybe it's happened, Cardi. They've maybe Radiohead sold have sold out. out. Maybe they're trying to reach a new. They're trying to get Amnesiac into the hands of the ten-year-olds. Getting it into the fucking them. metaverse. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, maybe like I don't know who played like Ninja. Maybe he's going to get really into like motion picture <laughs> soundtrack and really listen to it all the time. Um, I don't know, but anyway, uh, Radiohead Kid Amnesia. I'm going to call it Kid Amnesia. Basically, it's the twenty and twenty-first anniversary of the albums Kid A and Amnesiac from uh, Radiohead two fantastic albums kid a is an all-timer amnesiac very good not on the same level for me but um yeah basically this exhibition is they did um and another thing i never thought i'd see is tom york wrote a playstation blog post yesterday (laughs) um (laughs) which um basically detailed what this is which is two years ago they basically had plans to do like a real in life exhibition Mm. ideally they wanted to do it like the victorian albert museum or somewhere like that but obviously their ambitions were too high, so they couldn't do it. Then COVID hit, so they couldn't really do it. So they thought, let's do it digital. So they got in touch with some game developers and have made this kind of virtual exhibition that you can walk around that kind of is got really lots of like... So the... Oh, sorry, I've forgotten the name of the artist who does a lot of their album artwork, but he's basically... That's all of his art in there. And lots of, like, there's lots of, obviously, songs from the albums, but also lots of, like, stems and weird things happening. So they got, like, all the different, like, music tracks, the different instrumental tracks from each of the album mm. and kind of mix them together so weird things are happening. And, like, I'm not going to, like, if you don't like Radiohead or you're not really into walking around cool art exhibits, this isn't for you. I'm not telling people to do it. But if you haven't, just in case you're a Radiohead fan or you want something cool to spend, I don't know, hour, an hour and a half walking around on your PlayStation... It's just a cool place to be. It's quite visually weird at times and almost bordering on horror at times. Like, there's some odd things going on. I was going to ask, is it like an interactive album? Like, can you actually hear all the tracks? You can't hear all the tracks. Like, basically, it's like you're in a museum exhibition. Like, there'll be signs on the wall saying, oh, go left this way okay. for the yeah, yeah, yeah. for the National Anthem exhibition. And, like, you'll walk into this weird orange gelatinous pyramid and you'll hear the bass and drums from the Mm. song national anthem which is just incredible like (laughs) there's weird things going on and like they played there's a bit near the end where they play a couple of songs and i was getting weirdly emotional because i have my earphones on full blast and i was walking around just like floating in this space with like weird things happening around me i don't know kid a means a lot to me the thing that i I kind of want to know cardi is is yeah how much of it is just uh, like, oh, we wanted to make this exhibition and we planned out an exhibition, so what we're going to do is mm-hmm. just make a virtual exhibition. And how much of it actually takes advantage of the fact that you're in a digital space and therefore... So a lot of it takes... Like, there's bits where you're obviously like, oh, you're just walking down a hallway to mm-hmm. find the next ex- 
exhibit but a lot of it yeah it's digital like you're just like floating in midair and weird things are happening around you like yeah like this couldn't have been done physically i've seen i just i'd seen some screenshots which made it look very much like you were in a room with tables with things on it and things on the wall and it's like that feels from from my perspective like it's not making the most of the fact that you're doing it in a video game no so like you're not there's no gameplay or anything you can move and you can sprint with r1 Mm -hmm. you can zoom in with l1 like there are a few bits where there's just like some sketches on a wall you can look at but for the most part something weird is happening around you there's a bit where it's kind of hidden away in a corner downstairs there's that it's called the little cinema where you can just go in and it'll Mm. randomly play like some live tracks from like shows they've done and like are you ever like like, reading information like oh like no you're never like reading things okay it's just purely audio visual okay right right like, if you're not into Radiohead, you, you might not be into this, but if you're into something weird and cool to do for an hour on your PlayStation or on PC, it's free to download. You don't have to pay for it. It's all free. So just maybe give it a go. Stick some headphones on. It did make me wish it was in VR, because that would be ridiculously cool to do in VR, mm. I think. But, um, yeah, as a Radiohead nerd, I was into it. That does um, sound really cool. Give it a go. Maybe you'll enjoy it. Do you know what? And if you're not into Radiohead, give it a go. Maybe you'll discover the joys of Radiohead. Who knows? Maybe you'll have a cry. Um... Do you know what makes some people cry because they find it tediously boring, but we enjoy it? The Endless Search. Inside, it's a UK IGN crew. Yeah, 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 on the ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. Hold tight, the DJ, we're coming through. Yeah, yeah, on the ones and twos. We got the games gonna play for you. Inside, I got a question for you. It's the Endless Search. This week, I've got a quick endless search to do and this one has been sent in from leo yang thank you leo and he has done us some questions for the endless starch if you don't remember what the endless starch is starch is sorry it's where we take a game and change one letter in that game's name jesse is shaking his head because he's probably scared i can't remember if i've ever won any of these before i don't think i, don't I have know. But basically, uh, we're running a short time anyway, but I've picked out five of the questions that Leo sent in for us that I think are good. And we'll do those five and see who wins. So there's going to be a clue here for a game. I think the example I always use is um, G- like loads of rodents in an open world Miami setting. Uh, and then the answer is GTA My C, something like that. So you just change one letter and you get a different game name. Let's try it. So, the first question for you is, two intergalactic furries are stuck in transit in between floors. Ooh. Ooh, what could it be? Intergalactic furries. (sighs) Two intergalactic furries are stuck in transit in between floors. I will say, this is a game that came out this year. Oh. God. When you say a game that came out this year, not a re-release of games that came no, out. No, no, it's a, a new game that came out this year. Uh, to intergalactic, maybe galactic, to inter, they're almost inter-universal, multiversal fairies are stuck in between floors. Think of some furry, furry characters that maybe had a game this year. Uh, God. Oh. Uh... Okay. Oh, Jesse's on to something. Can you give me the clue again, please? Two intergalactic fur- furries are stuck in transit in between floors. What the fuck? 
I know what game it is, but I'm trying to figure out. Do you? Oh, I'm certain I do. Oh, I mean, yeah, it depends if you want to reveal it and then Matt will steal it or not. Oh, I, I mean, know. I'll make this a lot shorter. <laughs> and you say the game has got furries in it. That's because I thought that was the thing you were making not up. Not actual, no, not actual, you know, not actual furries, no, but, but furry, furry character. Yeah, yeah. The, the lead oh, character. Ratchet and Clank lift apart. It is. I literally then had to open up my list of games I've played this year, and I was like, which one of these could have this in? And I just got to Ratchet and Clank. (laughs) There we go. Uh, Please put your phone away in future. Um, Why can't I just look at lists of games? Um, (laughs) Look, Jesse used his brain power, and Jesse's got a point. It's 1 0 to Jesse. The next one is (laughs) Brain power. Horde. Hordes of zombies steal your cash the day your employers gave it to you. <laughs> Hordes of zombies steal your cash the day your employers gave it to you. Are these games released this year? No, this one was not. Oh, okay. And in fact, none of the other games were released this year. Oh, wicked. A lot of zombie games. It doesn't really uh, narrow that down. Um, I would say this is a PlayStation exclusive game. Hordes of zombies steal your cash the day your employers gave it to you. <laughs> a PlayStation 4 exclusive. Yes. I know which one it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying, trying to figure, figure out, out what the well. title is. Oh, there's only two words. Uh, Horde of Zombies <laughs> steal your cash the day your employers gave it to you. <sighs> uh, and I hope you're not thinking of the wrong game. <laughs> nah, surely it's. This day's gone, isn't it? I'm just trying to yes, figure out. Right. Yeah. And if your cash had gone the day your employers gave it to you, what would what would have happened? <laughs> Something will have gone. <laughs> oh, pay's gone. Pay's gone. Oh, there we go. Fuck's sake. There we go. Pay's gone. We got there. One really? or one. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I was focusing on the gone part. To be fair. Yeah, I was as well. Um, okay. Well, I thought that was one of the easier ones. So let's see where we go now. Oh, one or okay. Open world survival where you seek one alcoholic establishment after another. Maybe I'll add some uh, clues to this one. Let me just look up. Mm. So, I'd say a survival game that takes place underwater where you seek one alcoholic establishment after another. Pub Nautica. It is Pub Nautica. There <laughs> we go. Two one to Matt. Two more. An engineer fights off hordes of undead in a search for zen and inner peace. Ooh. I can see Matt's eyes are thinking. Mm. Jesse's looking worried. I'm looking sad. <laughs> I know the game, but I'm now trying to think how I convert it. I don't even An know what engineer. Game Do you know what game it is, Jesse? No. You definitely will have played this game. An engineer fights off hordes of undead in a search oh. for zen and inner peace. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Not many games where you play as an engineer. Yeah, that's true. Uh, He's trying to find zen and inner peace. He's trying to get somewhere. He's trying to get in a new... I don't know. 
I will say it's the first word that's changed. Okay. All right. Yeah. Headspace. It's headspace. <laughs> there we go. There's an app called Headspace. Yeah. As I well, yeah. There we go. Two all, it's come down to this, and what a thriller we've had. <laughs> um, here we go. This one, do you know what? This one might, you might get quickly, who knows? I don't want to don't say too much. A native Australian marsupial loses it and commits fatalities on any living being. <laughs> oh, wow. I know what game that is. Um... I don't know if you do, because I, <laughs> I think you're, you're assuming it's something else. Mortal Wombat. It is Mortal Wombat. There we, <laughs> there we go. Three, two to Matt. And I would say that that was painless. We got there in the end. That's the important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move on to some of your feedback, which, of course, you can send into <laughs> IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Matthew. Got one here from Ed, who says, Hello, and thank you for the segment this week, presumably last week, where Joe and Cardi faced off bringing hidden faced off bringing hidden games from the Wii and PS3 back catalogues to the podcast. I congratulate Joe for his picks of Zack and Wiki, Riven Paradise and Deadly Creatures. They're all great games. But I wanted to bring some attention to my arguably better hidden gems for the Wii. No no, no congratulations for me. I did note there. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. Turns out Deus Ex, some people don't think is a hidden gem. Uh, There we go. Anyway. You suggested Deus Ex. Look, I, uh, I'm not going through this again. Listen what? to the podcast, mate. <laughs> Dock Upon Kingdom, Mr. Power Release, this four-player board game puts players against each other and the board in a lengthy role-playing quest to defeat monsters and free the land of evil. The script is bizarre and hilarious, and when you defeat and when you defeat a player in a rock-paper-scissors battle, you can rename them or mess up their hair. <laughs> I've never heard of that. No, me neither. Boom Street, also known as Fortune Street, uh, a Monopoly-style board game with stocks and shares market manipulation wrapped in a Mario and Dragon Quest skin. Superb, even included online play. Then Disaster Day of Crisis, which... I, this seems like a Jesse one, because this feels a bit like Disaster well, yeah, Report. Disaster Report. We've yeah. got the um, the next email is all about Disaster Day of Crisis right. as well, so I'm going to put it in. Two people. We only got a few emails in about hidden Wii games. Two people came with Disaster Day of Crisis. It's a good game. Yeah. Uh, Ed says, I think this only had a PAL and Japanese release. No NTSC, so not in America. Uh, it, threw everything con- it threw every conceivable use of the Wiimote into the game, from medical operations, point and shoot, driving, I forget the rest. The story had you outrunning natural disasters one minute, only to meet them head on the next. It was hilarious cheese on a scale only video games can reach, and definitely more than the sum of its many parts. It gives an honourable mention to Dead Space Extraction, an on-rails shooter. I worked on f- with Eurocom for EA. Fun times, love to all those guides. Then, oh, there we go, that's it, and respect to the sea. Well, he says R to the sea. I assume <laughs> that means respect the yeah, sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely forgot about Dead Space Extraction, that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that was the weird good. thing where the Wii would have those weird... Sort of almost spin-offs of yeah. core games. Um, yeah. Do you want to? Um, I've yeah. I'm intrigued by the four-player board game one. Um, was it Dock Upon Kingdom? Dock Upon like, Kingdom. That sounds mad. I'm intrigued by that. Thank you, uh, Ed. Jesse, you've got one. Which, uh, like I said before, we've got more Disaster Day of Crisis talk, which I'm sure you can tell us all about. That is nuts. Uh, this is from Sam Davies. He says, uh, 
Hi, I just wanted to let you know about what I consider the most hidden of hidden gems. I have never heard of, I've never heard of or seen anyone else ever talking about or play in this game. Uh, the game is called Disaster Day of Crisis. I like to think whoever created the game walked into the, the head of studio office and said, I want to make a game that's a cross between The Rock, Volcano, Dante's Peak, The Day After Tomorrow, San Andreas, and Greenland. Then added in even more stuff from there. The game is so crazy there isn't one way to describe the minute-to-minute gameplay, and the Wii controller was perfect for this. One minute you'll be in third-person mode running around an area giving CPR, lifting things off trapped people, and even getting smoke out of your lungs was a big part of the game. Then all of a sudden you're in first-person mode driving away from a tsunami. Probably the only thing that I wasn't particularly keen on was there was large on-rail shooter sections, um, but they're quite good and there's a good RPG-style system with, a weapon, up- with weapon upgrades. At what? one point you even fight a bear. What a game. The trailers do it so much justice. The music is so good. Hopefully, you can get a copy of this game and give it a go. Let's Ooh. just stop there because what the hell? Like Jesse, you said you've played this game. I, I have. So there, there was a time when I was like hunting through some like PlayStation Two games and stuff before we get to Disaster Day of Crisis, and I found this series called Disaster Report, which mm-hmm. is like from these Japanese developers, and they pretty much made a game where it's you're stuck on this island or in a city, and there's like a tsunami happening and earthquakes, and you're basically just trying to survive and that's pretty much it and disaster day of crisis like takes up to a whole other level because i think it's been ages since i've played it but that feels way more anime than these other games as well where you're like run away from volcanoes and shit like that it's pretty i don't ridiculous. get where are the on rail suits who are you shooting <laughs> i think there's like eco terrorists or something that's usually <laughs> the plot or something mad um <laughs> It's it's like one of my favorite kind of subgenres of like survival games is escaping from like a destroyed Volcanoes. city and stuff. You just you don't see it. Volcano escape games is your yeah exactly. Genre. Well, no, because like every survival game is like you know usually horror mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But this is just you're escaping from a city that's you know suffering from friggin' earthquakes and tsunamis and all this other madness. I'm and definitely uh, going to look up some gameplay of this game once we finish recording. It is what is pretty going nuts. On. But if you're into that game, you should definitely check out disaster report because that game has like four titles in the series and it's very good and also they have a a spin-off game as well that was released on the ps4 and that has like you same setup as disaster report it's called city of giant shadows only released in japan but this time you're in you're trying to escape whilst in a city and it's being attacked by godzilla ultraman evangelions and shit so it's disaster report but with kaiju and monsters Wow. Same premise. There we go. It's still I, kn- I knew having Jesse on this podcast would be a plus because we could go through all the different <laughs> natural disaster and kaiju escape games. That are, that They're are really good the and more should be made. But <laughs> Sam goes on to say, also I watched Red Notice at the weekend and it's definitely one of the worst <laughs> films I've ever seen. Um, I'd say this year has produced three of the worst films I've ever seen, The Tomorrow War, Army of the Dead, and now Red Notice. It got me thinking, is this the worst year for movies in recent memory? <laughs> Thanks for the hours of entertainment, Sam. I, I have not seen any of those films. Uh, I've heard a lot of them are bad. I've um, seen Army of the Dead and I don't mind it. Well, there we go. I um, I would say it's not the worst year of movies we've ever had because we have got Licorice Pizza, which is one of the best ones ever made. So it can never be one of the worst years for movies. But yeah, thinking about it, I've not seen what, apart from Licorice Pizza in June, there aren't many films that have really it stood is- out. I haven't seen a lot of... Um, there's a lot of good films coming out around now that I, I do want to see. Is Red Notice the new film with The Rock? Yeah, and Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, mm-hmm. it looks yeah. just. It's not my whatever. jam, definitely. Also, The Tomorrow no. War looks just absolutely 
bog standard the, plane shit. And also, I just don't want to watch Chris Pratt be an action hero still. I just find him a bit boring now. I saw honest. the trailer for the Tomorrow War and it looks... Can you remember Battle for LA, I think yes. it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just yeah. looked like that all over again. <laughs> Did you ever play the game for that? I did not, Jesse. How no, no. Didn't. <laughs> the trailer for Battle for LA was enough to convince me not to have anything to do with that. Yeah, what a shit film. There you go. Thanks for that, Sam. And we've got one here from Andy Wood who says, Hi, guys. I've been meaning to write this one in during the fantastic It's Football Day episodes. That was the Football Manager spin-off we did, which I know people occasionally do ask. No plans for that to come back soon. I'm sorry. We're far oh, too it. busy. We're far too busy. Um... But who knows, maybe one day we'll do something. I don't know. I'm not promising anything, and that is not a promise, so do not take it as a promise. But anyway, Andy goes on to say, and thankfully the recent topic of making up your own challenges in games has given me another opportunity. I usually play the mobile version of Football Manager, like Dale Driver, and I think he's already deep into this year's mobile version of Football Manager, which seems to be infinitely easier than the full-fat version on PC. It's not, it's not as good though, Andy. It's all about that PC version. After romping my way to a third Premier League title with Dulwich Hamlet, I decided I need a new challenge. I mean, that that is quite an achievement. Though. Enter Ned Flanders, Football Manager. Wow. The rules for Ned Flanders, Football Manager, are simple enough. You make a new club and a new stadium. Leftorium FC and the Leftorium are my choices. In the lowest league available in your chosen country. This is this is a hard enough challenge as it is. Next, you instantly release any right-footed heathen who dare be a part of the club's initial roster. Only lefties are welcome here. I'm all for this because I am indeed left-handed and left-footed, so I would be able to play as player-manager in this team. So that's good. Ridiculously, I still managed to make it to the top of FM Mobile in around a decade, even with this restriction, but it made for a fun way to experience the game especially my short and dramatic failure as England boss when I tried to apply the leftorian philosophy to international football. Turns out the fans don't like it when you've been off all the star players for lefty regens from League 2. Anyway, thanks for the fantastic podcast each and every week, and please continue to respect the C diddly E. A lovely, lovely touch on respect that you see there. Um, who, are you got, who are your guys' favourite left-footed footballers around at the moment? <laughs> Absolutely not listen. Dumbest question to ask us. <laughs> go on, go on, go on. Name, name a left footed footballer. Oh, fuck, man. I don't know. <laughs> to be fair, if you just said Messi, he is left footed. So you could have just said the most famous footballer. I like Rooney. this sort of challenge. I, I might try it. I might not go all the way to the extent because I do play the full version. I might not go down to like, you know, creating an own club right down the bottom. But I might play as a team like Spurs or something and think. Could I make? Could I win the league with just left-footed players? I'm sure I could. I mean, there's some good players out there. Like I could what, what, sign. Why is that so Slyavich, bad? I could get bail back. It's not bad. It's just it's rarer for you know probably I don't know one in I don't know what the stats would be one in ten footballers are maybe left-footed. So you just have a <laughs> okay. lot less options to pick from. Basically, right? Like, you couldn't have you know a lot of, most professional footballers are two-footed. Like they can use both foot, but they'll have a predominant foot. So mm. like you know, it's like. I don't know. Yeah, I'd be mad. It's like IGN saying, "Yeah, we're we're actually going to sack our stuff and only have left-handed writers from now on, <laughs> for no real reason." I'd be fine, uh, but there we go. Yeah, would that uh, affect typing much? I don't know. I don't know. It was <laughs> it was a complete you know theory. It was you know we're not going to put this into practice. Don't worry. Um, I think we should. I don't know. Maybe I'll talk to Pear about that. Maybe we will get mm. that rule enforced. Uh, anyway. 
write in your feedback to IGN underscore UK feedback at IGN.com. Girl, we've got so much, like, for music to end this podcast. We've got Radiohead, we've got the Licorice Pizza soundtrack, we've got Ghostbusters, we've got the whole of the GTA trilogy soundtrack, and then we've got the Halo music. I mean, should you that's just, just layer ridic- them all like, up at some, once? We've got some of the best music ever made to choose from here. I don't know what we should go for. I'm going to let, do you know what, Matt? I'm going to let you decide. What do you think it should be? Well, it's what's going to be on the thumbnail is clearly going to be Halo, right? Like, get get that yeah. Halo main theme going. We'll get the Halo main Get Breaking Benjamin going. in. There we go. Why Halo are Breaking Benjamin <laughs> going to be in there? Because Halo 2. Yeah, Halo 2. Oh. Did they do that? Well, they did, yeah. That Halo 2 my... has got a rocking soundtrack. It's like it really does. the Halo, original Halo orchestral <laughs> shows... theme tunes done as, like, guitar. It shows how Fucking little I know sick. about Halo 2 that Breaking Benjamin did a soundtrack for it. I mean... I've got so much to learn, and I'm looking forward to jumping into Halo further. <laughs> Thank you, sexy gentleman, for joining me for this. Thank you podcast. so much. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah, here's some Halo, not the Breaking Benjamin version. 